This episode of the EdTech Podcast is sponsored by Pearson, the world's learning company. In a world of increasing change and technological advancement, the need for people to have transferable skills is more important than ever. Aligned to the future of skills and employability, Pearson BTech prepares learners for the future world of work by providing them the knowledge, technical and transferable skills they need to be successful in their careers and in their lives. For more information about BTEC qualifications, visit btechworks.com. The What Matters in EdTech series is produced by the EdTech Podcast and supported by BET. For anyone who doesn't know, BET is the first industry show of the year in the education technology landscape, bringing together over 800 leading companies 103 exciting new edtech startups, and over 34,000 attendees. People from over 146 countries in the global education community come together to celebrate, find inspiration, and discuss the future of education, as well as seeing how technology and innovation enable educators and learners to thrive. To find out more, go to www.betshow.com. I think people need to be opened up to some of the options that are out there. There's some amazing options and some amazing courses that I honestly believe 15 and 16-year-olds at school have no idea about, and I don't think it's spoken about enough. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to this final episode in our series, What Matters in EdTech, supported by BET. This series is all about the things that matter in education and how and when tech might help. And over our six episodes, we have looked at themes that shaped BET's conference programme in 2020, namely SEND, future tech and trends, well-being, empowering teaching and learning, innovation and skills. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet us using the hashtag EdTechPodcast and BET2020. And thank you to Pearson for sponsoring this episode. So, Bet 2020 is over. What a whirlwind. My highlights, as always, were meeting with like-minded people and past guests from the podcast. Passionate After Dark Conversations covered the importance of fostering creativity in our young people, plus why we should aim to include so-called struggling schools in our innovation test beds to really check the promise of edtech. I really enjoyed the to and fro candid conversations at the GEC Collective Tech in Action meetup and encourage everyone to go and check out their work. A memorable exchange for me was when I travelled across London to get to bet and bumped into past podcast guest Dominic Norrish, now the COO of United Learning. What's that, he said, whilst he peeled off a child's sticker from my chin, which had made the entire journey with me. Thanks for moving that before I hobnobbed with 35,000 people, Dominic. Most kind. Lots of people felt like this was the best bet in a long time with a revised and more user-friendly layout and well thought through and popular content stages. And whilst this series is coming to an end, I'm in chats with Bet in the next month. So let's see if we can bring more collaboration to the table. If you've got good ideas on what you'd like to hear more of, do ping them over. Anyway, on to this week's episode. 
We finished the series looking at skills with a live recording which took place at BET with a panel of guests who are supporting all manner of entry points into skills development, both across schools, universities, global competitions and qualifications. Also, remember Ian Hurd, who's done a couple of guest interviews across the Further Ed community. Turns out he used to teach BTEC radio production and he did us a massive turn by getting in touch with a past student who knew vocational learning was for him. You'll hear how this turned out, what conversations with his dad that student had on the way and what his messages are for anyone else thinking about developing the skills they need. Disclaimer, because of the gladiatorial environment of the arena upon whose stage this episode was recorded, we found it a little difficult to hear one another. So huge commendations to my guests that their comments are so very coherent. All manner of skills at play there. And thank you also to Laura McInerney of Teacher Tap fame for the kind intro to our session. Before we start, a bit of scene setting. Well, we all know about the skills gap. Uh, in the UK, the skills gap is reported to cost businesses £4.4 billion a year, not to mention the personal cost to learners of feeling unable to fulfil their own unique potential. Just last week, a BBC article highlighted a report by the charity Education and Employers, which surveys 7,000 teenagers and found that five times as many 17 to 18-year-olds want to work in art, entertainment and sport as there are jobs available. Whilst the Times Higher Education ran an article entitled Will US Universities Be Made Redundant by the Employability Agenda?, pointing to the college graduates who are not job ready and increasing numbers of companies who are taking the training of their own workers in-house as a result. So in short, there is a massive disjunct between education and skills requirements, employer and student and provider wants and needs. On our own podcast, we've watched with interest as the Salisbury Review and then the Auger Review has challenged existing notions of value and opportunity for learners, Whilst the volume around vocational issues from government has turned up with headlines like Gavin Williamson pledges £120 million expansion of technology institutes in a bid to beat Germany on vocational or Sajid Javid pledges £400 million further education funding. With my guest today, we take a top-level view of the skills agenda, both in the UK and internationally, before drilling into some of the vocational learning experiences which are attempting to take on the skills gap. In discussion are Cindy Rampersord, Senior Vice President for BTEC and Apprenticeships at Pearson UK, Ben Blackledge, Deputy Chief Executive Officer at WorldSkills UK, Sarah Taunton, Acting Head of Pathways and Enrichment at ARC, and Helen Hall, UK Recruitment and Partnerships Director for Oxford Brookes University um, and also a University Alliance representative. So enjoy this episode and as we wrap this series, do send in your highlights, which I'd love to share out. Um, Don't forget, we've got two other series running and plenty in the pipeline. So I hope whether you're washing up, cooking dinner or listening in the car, we can still join you. Okay, here we go.
Good afternoon, Bet 2020, and welcome to the main arena. If I can ask guests to please take their seats and join us for this session. This is a technology show, therefore we are always bringing you new innovations in the technology space and today's session is no different. We are about to kick off live the EdTech podcast. It will be hosted by Sophie Bailey, who many of you will know is the founder and host of the EdTech podcast, but for your viewing pleasure today, it will be live. Please give Sophie and her panellists a round of applause. Thank you. Um, So hello everyone and uh, welcome to this session on skills and uh, first of all just thank you very much for coming along. Have we got any people who are from outside of London today? Whereabouts are you from? Denmark. Any others? Finland. I can spot some familiar faces from Finland. Uh, Mexico, I think. Yeah, I can, I can recognise a few faces there. So a really international crowd. So thank you very much and for all the travels involved. So to kick things off, uh, dearest guests, if we can just introduce uh, ourselves one minute each and then we'll move into the discussion. So Sarah, if you want to kick off. Hi, I'm Sarah. I work for ARC Schools. Um, ARC Schools are a network of 37 schools working in four regions in England. We're working in communities where we can make the biggest difference to the students that are there. Um, We have a passionate belief that students should be able to go on to a university or career of their choice regardless of their background but we recognize that that might be slightly uh, more challenging for students from disadvantaged backgrounds so I'm very lucky to work in a team that bridges that gap and we run a series of projects and programs to make sure that our students can select and secure and be successful in their post-school pathways whatever they might be. Fantastic and Helen? Hi, I'm Helen Hall. I'm UK Recruitment Director at Oxford Brookes University. So my role covers university admissions, uh, student recruitment, widening participation. So how do we ensure that we are providing fair access to our university? Um, and I also look after apprenticeships and our partnerships with FE colleges. So, so quite a wide range um, uh, and, and exchanging with the other panellists, I think, in terms of crossover. Oxford Brooks is a University Alliance university, and University Alliance is the voice of um, large and medium-sized institutions that are particularly focused on broad-based interdisciplinary uh, curriculum around providing the work-based skills that our employers need. So looking forward to the discussion. Great. Thank you very much. Ben? Uh, so I'm Ben Blackledge. I'm the deputy CEO at WorldSkills UK. Uh, WorldSkills is a, a member organisation of 80 different countries. Um, and every two years we host uh, what is basically the Skills Olympics. So it's a huge celebration of vocational skills. Everything from uh, bricklaying to CNC milling to hair and beauty uh, and everything in between. Um, and in the UK, uh, as well as Skills UK, our, our kind of mission is around how do we celebrate and develop excellence in the UK skills system. Uh, we know that this system can be used um, to benchmark uh, the UK competitiveness and the talent we have in the UK. And so we're really looking at how do we take that learning from other countries and embed it back into the UK. Um, and so just really excited about how do you raise a level of prestige and uh, quality in skills provision in the UK. So that's what we do. And finally, Cindy. Okay, 
Good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Cindy Rampersword, um, and I work for Pearson. Pearson operates in um, over 70 countries around the world, supporting access to education from early years all the way through to lifelong learning. Um, at the heart of our mission, it is about people being able to access learning and really make progress in their lives, whatever stage they're at. Um, at Pearson, I lead our division responsible for technical and vocational education, so BTECs and apprenticeships. And I think there's a real relevance in the topic of the conversation today in that in a changing world, how does education evolve and access to education evolve? Um, and, and the really important role of tech in really supporting that and supporting progress and the definition of progress. So really excited to be here um, and part of this discussion. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Well, we've been backstage and we've been talking about this pretty much nonstop for the past hour. Um, but first question to kick off at a sort of top level, um, there's this disconnect between education skills requirements. Um, and my question to the panel is, you know, broadly speaking, why is this? And then how is the UK faring in this space versus perhaps some of the rest of the world? So, um, Ben, perhaps we could kick off with you because I know you've done some work on scoping the UK versus some other countries in vocational learning. Yeah, I mean, I think firstly to say is the, the difference between what's being provided and what's being needed is obviously there's so many reasons in terms of why that happens. Um, so the, the technological change we're seeing, the amount of uh, skill and resource that is needed in education to provide the skills that young people need, that employers need, is I think just, just a couple of them. But I think the way, um, uh, looking at other countries and how uh, they're approaching it, there are, I guess, a number of things. You have some of the, uh, the go-to examples like uh, Germany and Switzerland and uh, Austria that have these amazing dual systems. And that, that is true. But there is a huge cultural difference in how uh, skills and vocational skills are viewed. And so, therefore, there is, there is more investment. There's less stigma attached to it. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a huge uh, a cultural shift we need to looking at, not just at our education system, but how do we get as much information out to as many of the different influences for young people as possible. And then I think you, if you look at places uh, like uh, China and Korea um, and Russia, um, they are investing phenomenal amounts in making sure that the skills that they are developing uh, for young people now are the skills that they're going to need for the next 15 and 10, 20 years. Um, and that's not just in equipment, that's in, in, uh, in the teachers and the educators that provide that. And I can speak a bit more about some of the work we've done that in a bit, but I don't want to hog the whole, uh, whole question. Thank you. And uh, Cindy, you and I were sort of talking about, um, my question to you yesterday was whether the particular aspects of class in England and the UK, whether that was something to do with you know, how it plays out here in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, um, I think the big challenge, actually not just for the UK, but around the globe, is um, the perception that the gold standard in education is academic and the perception that actually progression and success and outcomes is measured very much by traditional roots. And actually, one of the things that we're, we're seeing and we're hearing from, from parents, from employers, from young people themselves, is actually what they want is something slightly different. So if you look at Gen Z, and we were talking earlier about, you know, it's about lifestyles, it's about multiple careers, it's about dipping in, dipping out, it's about, it's about values and, and all of those sorts of things. I think actually that the, the kind of real opportunity is having some of that inform what the education system needs to look like and what the outcomes need to look like. Yeah, we were talking earlier about you know, you having more people um, 
either work in distributed teams or work in a flexible way. And quite often when we talk about skills, we're talking about what formal employer needs, but actually there's a whole other section of uh, society, whether you're a YouTuber or self-employed, it's it's quite different. Um, Before I come to Sarah and Helen on some of the conversations happening on the ground, we have a clip. This clip is of a former BTEC student called Luke Bedford, uh, and he was a student in radio production, uh, and, and he's going to talk to you a little bit about what he does now, but it gives you a sense of perhaps some of those initial perceptions and the struggles before um, perhaps some of these students are really flying and flourishing. So if the lovely AV team uh, Aztec, if you have the clip and you could play it, that would be great. Hello there, my name's Luke and I'm speaking to you from one of the TalkSport studios at London Bridge in the news building, which is where we're based. Um, I'm a radio producer here at TalkSport. I produce the mid-morning show with Jim White, Monday to Fridays. Uh, We go live in about three hours' time, so we're going to start getting the running orders together very shortly. And as we speak, Chris Evans is uh, presenting his breakfast show on Virgin just down the corridor from me. It's funny, actually, when I kind of hear myself say that, it kind of makes me want to pinch myself because I can't quite believe I've got to where I've got to in a way. But at the same time, and I'm not going over the top here, I don't believe I would be here right now doing what I'm doing if I hadn't have gone down the kind of educational route that I've gone down in terms of taking a BTEC in radio production. Discovering this radio production course as a BTEC at South End was amazing for me because I didn't realise at that age that there was a course so specific in something that I was so passionate about and really wanted to pursue further. I had a battle with my dad over it. He was worried that if I went down this kind of BTEC vocational route that he thought it was narrowing my options. And he also said, and I don't know if this is a generational thing, um, I think maybe amongst certain people, the BTEC courses maybe have a little bit of a perception of a bit of a cop-out, which they're definitely not. Luckily, we went for an open evening at South End College and um, I said to my dad, look, can we go and see the tutor who was uh, Ian Hurd, who was leading the course My dad put his kind of concerns to Ian about the course and about, you know, where it would take me. And within probably, I would say, about two minutes of conversation with Ian, honestly, my dad was utterly convinced, uh, which was just absolutely brilliant for me. I was delighted. And um, yeah, I ended up enrolling that year in September. I didn't know it at that time, but I was starting my journey into radio production and working here as a career. I think people need to be opened up to some of the options that are out there. There's some amazing options and some amazing courses that I honestly believe 15 and 16 year olds at school have no idea about. And I don't think it's spoken about enough. For me, I learned some really key skills uh, in my BTEC course in radio production. I thought there was a really good split of practical elements and theory. The theory actually laid a really good foundation for me in terms of going on to uni and going into radio production there because it didn't leave me starting from a, a blank slate, which I think some of the other students at uni did. When I was starting to write my essays, I kind of felt like I had some groundwork there in place in terms of um, I already knew how to kind of structure an essay and how to write things in kind of a correct way. One thing I noticed uh, actually when I went for my interview at uni, they were really surprised in a way that uh, we had a radio production course uh, at BTEC level. I think essentially it made me stand out a little bit and it kind of proved to them that actually, you know, I'm very serious about 
this subject and the route and the career that I want to go down. I went to my uh, TalkSport interview and one of the things my now boss said to me at the time when he looked at my CV was that he could see there was a clear progression and career path. I'd recommend to anyone out there that A-levels isn't the be-all and end-all. Sometimes you need to go with your gut on things and if you feel strongly and passionate about something then you shouldn't be put off by perceptions of BTEC and vocational routes because they build you as a character, they build you with really key foundation skills that you need, they've got a great mix of practical and theory which you know sets you up brilliantly if you want to go into uni and also if you want to go on um, into your career. Anyway, I better uh, go and get on with my running order for the show. But um, I can honestly say that every day I get up, I've got a real buzz going into work. And um, I'm so glad that that night at the open evening at Southend College that Ian uh, managed to persuade my dad that the BTEC vocational route going into uh, radio production at Southend College was the route to go because I honestly don't think I'd be here today doing this. That's probably enough to give you a sense. And, and just for if anyone's struggling up here on the panel, um, essentially what happened was wanted to go into radio production, knew straight away that's what he wanted to do. Um, his dad was concerned about whether a BTEC in radio production would have value. Went and spoke to the uh, course leader. And within two minutes, the father was then convinced it was the best thing and the best thing for his son. So um, for both of you, both at a university and in the school system, what are the kind of conversations you're having on the ground about vocational learning options and perhaps some of the objections and how you overcome them? So if anyone's in the audience here, they can take your nuggets of wisdom with them. Certainly. Um, One of the main challenges we come across when we're talking uh, to students who want to embark into vocational learning is that parity of esteem, um, which the student on the AV was talking about. So we are very clear with our parents and with our students that as long as you are choosing an option in a growth sector, uh, whatever that might be, because there are plenty of growth sectors, that certainly the choices are not limited. Um, And it's one of the beauty of the BTEC courses that they lead to so many different uh, career-related routes. Um, It's an exciting space to work in. Yeah, I think from a university perspective, this is really important because it ties in back to your first question I think Sophie because obviously the provision is really driven by learner demand so we're thinking about what our learners want to study and it's really important to us that we can um, work with schools colleges and other providers to make sure that students are aware of that full range of routes going through I think one piece that really struck with me around it was actually around apprenticeships is that when parents understand them understand the progression routes all the way through um, the vast majority of parents felt that this was a really positive option in terms of progression into careers but that the extent to which parents knew about them really varied so for parents particularly from lower socioeconomic backgrounds there was very little understanding so a huge piece of the work that we do with schools and colleges with young people um, and with parents as well is trying to trying to clarify that qualification framework that's not the language we would use with our students and parents but really start to be really clear about what our entry requirements and how that translates across a whole range of different qualifications but the current picture around vocational technical education makes that quite challenging and we welcome things like the T-level but I think there's a collective effort from the sector to make sure that young people are advised in terms of making a choice and what the options are after that. Absolutely, and I definitely agree with that. It's about a recognition that 
we might have the same destination in mind, but there are different ways of getting there. And no longer are we working in an education system where there is only one traditional academic way of getting into a career of your choice. One of the things um, I would add on that, though, is that there's a really important point about changing the perception that the different routes and the different choices are not valued the same way. And actually, they add value for learners, whatever the start point. So I think the really important thing is not saying that actually students are taking a BTEC or taking a vocational route because they're less able. Actually, invariably, they're as able. But it's this whole thing around it. The really interesting thing about education is that human beings are not homogenous. And actually, it's about different routes, different pathways for different people to get them where they need to get to and celebrating that. Yeah, I think a big, a big thing for us, so we, we take some young people out of the further education system and we have to train them up to be able to compete internationally. And, and so we do a lot of that in technical, so you're talking about things that I know nothing about, like mechatronics and cybersecurity. But as important is creating in them that ability to have resilience, to, to deal with problems. Yeah. And, and almost, if, if they were here, they are, they're so impressive in terms of the transformational effect yeah. that, that being hands-on, that learning, with, that learning those things. I don't mean hands-on just using your hands, but, but trying what they're doing. And that relationship between theory and practice and having both of them, is, I think, is a far healthier framing than academic and vocational. I love what you said, Cindy, about you know, uh, we're humans, we, we don't tend to just go, right, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and life's much more messy than that, and, you know, it does involve trial and error and going down different routes, and um, it got me thinking, so we've got this review of vocational learning at the moment happening in the UK, we've had an episode on the podcast before um, about the review of vocational learning in New Zealand, and it seems like similar things happening here. Um, and I wanted to ask what the panel thought. So we've got this introduction to the T-levels. And it's almost like whether um, the skills conversation is going back towards, you, you know, you go down the academic route or you go down the vocational route. And then I've got this quote here um, or this statistic. So when considering the value of qualifications, nearly three quarters of respondents to the 2018 Confederation of British Industry Skills Survey, very snappy title, said that they prefer a mixture of academic and technical qualifications or that they view all qualifications equally. So there's this notion that actually it's the hybrid, it's the mix um, that has value. So from your work, wherever, which perspective you're coming from, how do we keep this mix and how do we make sure that vocational learning remains broad and transferable and not too job-specific, I suppose? Yeah. Anyone... Have any passionate response? I mean, I'd like to jump in on, on this one because I, I think actually the really important thing is around the design of the learning yeah. and actually making sure that the design of the learning is allowing access. And I think so. I think T levels are fantastic and they're going to meet a group and a need, a need. But actually, anything that is too narrow or too technical is going to be also alienating a group of learners. So I think what's important is having something that allows access, is flexible, and actually is applied to the to kind of industries or sectors or the world that young kids are going to be living in and operating in, not just work, but life. Um, and I think the really important bit is 
you know, the key around education is how do we embed those aptitudes, those skills that we need to be able to succeed in life and young people need to flourish in life. So things like adaptability, things like flexibility, team, things like teamwork, how you operate in a global economy and work with data and with technology more. So it's, it's more about the design and making sure that the design is moving, actually whatever the pathway, that it has some of those attributes in it. And Helen and Sarah, I was sort of ahead of doing this. I went on the UCAS post-16 website to look at all the different qualifications available. Um, for people in the audience who you know, may be in a position where they have to support student decisions or talk with parents, how do you kind of assess the varying qualities of those different qualifications? And, and just to kind of put that into context, we've got a question here from the audience um, how do employment statistics compare for vocational courses versus traditional academic ones? Um, I'm not sure I'm going to pull out some stats out the bag in terms of answering the question. I think on the broader point, um, what we know as a university is we know that year on year there is a steady trend that there is an increase in applications to universities from people who hold a combination of qualifications. So I think that kind of binary divide between vocational academic is not showing itself in learner choice, certainly at age 16. It will be interesting to see what happens to that trend when we have T-levels. Um, in terms of navigating, I guess I've, I've referred to that already, and I think that is one of the challenges in understanding the quality of them. Um, I think there is um, a responsibility on universities to be really clear and transparent around equivalencies, and that's something that we're working on to make sure that we are looking for potential in the widest range of students and that that will present itself in a number of different qualification types. And I think it's also about um, having advice available for individuals to think about not just um, what a student wants to learn, but how they want to learn. And I guess that goes back to Cindy's point is um, that, you know, a vocational qualification can give you a very focused um, qualification portfolio where you're really honing in on a subject that's of interest but it can also open a, a wide variety of assessment practices which might play to your strengths and really enable you to show your potential so I think it is very much about thinking around what what's the route that's going to enable the student to pursue their interests and also to achieve their potential in the best way and the challenge then for universities is to think about how do we enable those students to succeed once they join us um, and, and to be clear about you know, how do we assess, how do we support students to succeed across a range of assessment types. Picking up on the question that's come in from the audience, again, I don't have any stats necessarily <laughs> about the uh, employment statistics, but in terms of uh, students in our network who have followed a vocational route or a traditional route, there is very, very little difference. There's literally a two percentage point difference uh, between the, uh, the quality of the destinations that students on that traditional A-level route or the vocational BTEC route go on to. Uh, so we're very proud at ARC at the number of students that go on to Russell Group, top third universities, top 100 apprenticeship providers. And going back to what I was saying before, similar destinations in mind just different ways of getting there that better suit the needs of, of those students and their preferred style of learning 
Um, in terms of assessing the quality of uh, different qualifications that are out there, uh, through each of the programmes we work with, we're very clear with our young people about how they can assess and empower them to assess the, uh, the quality of different routes that are out there, um, whether that's looking at um, entry requirements, whether it's looking at future employment opportunities past the, their apprenticeship or, or the, the degree programme. Okay, thank you. I think, I think if I can just jump back in, um, again, similar to uh, what Sarah's referred to in terms of progression after school, certainly in terms of progression from our degree courses, it was really interesting to see the CBI report from last year, which really flagged the value that employers place on um, inclusion of creative subjects, of arts and humanities and social science subjects. And I think, you know, I think each of us has referred to that need to look at competencies, to look at skills in quite a broad sense. So it's not just about kind of technical skills, but it's also about the ability to um, cope and to succeed in a very flexible career. Um, Ben, I can see you chomping at the bit there. Just on the the employer point, I think think there's a couple of things. I think the question about why why can't employers and business fix it? I think the approach that government's taking in terms of involving them in T-levels and apprenticeships is the right approach. Have they got it right quite yet? Probably, probably not. But we were talking before about um, how employers are having to engage with the education of their future workforce in a different way. And so them being involved at the beginning of, I don't know, we talked about an architect or, uh, or those kind of roles, and being able to be involved in how you develop, yes, the technical skills, but also what kind of person you want out of that is a really powerful thing. So I think there's a big job for us all to do around how do we educate employers, sounds patronising, I don't mean that, but to work with them to demonstrate, actually, this is a very complicated arena in terms of how you go through, and here's how to try and navigate that in a way that, that gets the best out of you. Because ultimately, if that works, then employers succeed, then, then young people can get into more employment, and then that, that's how the thing all kind of works together, I think. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting discussion because obviously employers have got a really a big vested interest in this whole discussion because it's the talent of the future. Um, and so actually the whole thing around making sure that students have got kind of access to different industries, they can see role models that actually curriculum design from early years all the way through include those kind of soft skills are really, really important. But I also think that the key thing for employers that's different now was that when there was a job for life, you might be recruiting from the milk ground at 21 and taking the cream of the crop. What we're kind of seeing, we talked about Gen Z, actually people will be dipping in, dipping out, some will be entrepreneurs. And so actually employers are going to have to work much harder not just at recruiting the talent pipeline at the beginning, but actually all the way through their workforce and that whole thing around lifelong learning and recruiting throughout for your businesses. So I think it's a a slightly different dynamic and their engagement all the way through is now crucial. And how they set up business to work with young people as well. You've got to work differently with young people, I think. So very, very quickly, because then I'm going to ask for your one takeaways for all the audience to uh, to end with um, the four billion pound problem for businesses why can't they solve it I'd encourage anyone to go and look at Guild Education which is uh, an edtech startup from the US which is of unicorn status uh, and, and basically what they do is education as a benefit so if you work at Starbucks you can learn a degree as a benefit of being an employee of Starbucks. So that is sort of starting to happen. And then the other point that Laura McInerney, who, who's over there, makes often is that we have this statistic of graduate earnings. But actually, as your report with Nesta showed, that you know, caring as a sector is going to be a booming and growth area and is valuable 
to society as much as a kind of high earning job. So kind of our notion around that. I'm going to slightly run over by possibly one minute and ask everyone to give one really great resource in the area of skills that our lovely audience can go away with today. Uh, so for me, it would be, um, if you haven't read it already, The Missing Piece by Tom Ravencroft. Um, and uh, that's all about how we can, as educators, make sure that the essential skills that are absolutely critical to the conversation that, that we've been talking about uh, are an embedded part of um, curriculum in our, in our schools. Uh, so for me it's a really practical resource career pilot which we use quite widely with our schools and colleges and it allows learners to go in to undertake a skills audit to put in place an action plan as to how they're going to develop those skills and then map them into different career and job areas Um, I'm going to do a shameless plug and say uh, come to World Schools UK Live in Birmingham it's a huge uh, experiential careers event that is about inspiring and about challenging stigma around vocational education I'm involved in it, but it inspires me every year. So I'd say bring your young people, bring your your students to that. Fantastic, thank you. Um, And I think I would say it's about designing and refining our education system to have multiple pathways for young people and adults. And it's about continually creating access and helping people make progress in their lives, which is not just about jobs, but it's also about their lives. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And thank you very much for coming along and listening. And don't forget, you can listen back uh, at the EdTech podcast. So thanks once again. If I can, please just ask the panellists to stay seated. Can we give them all a round of applause? Sophie does an incredible job with the EdTech podcast all year round. And just to say what a fantastic session and well-hosted that was. Thank you one more time to the guest speakers just now. And we'll see you again in five minutes. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for listening in and huge thank you to all of my guests, Beth for supporting the series and to Pearson for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget if you'd like to continue the conversation online, use the hashtag EdTechPodcast and Bet2020 or go to the Twitter account at PodcastEdTech or at BetShow on all the social medias. Or for all the show notes, including resource and reading recommendations, it's the EdTechPodcast.com. Thanks for joining us, folks. Have a great week. Bye-bye.